Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor with Dr. Douglas Peak. I'm Jesse, your host, and today we will be digging into Genesis chapter 42 as we continue our study on the life of Joseph and how it relates to our current life and events mm-hmm. that are going on right now. So on Tuesday, we investigated a really unique twist in the story of Joseph. You pointed out that we were seeing the first emergence of the messianic theme emerging. How does this early emergence of the theme have meaning for us today? Well, I think uh, the most important thing that I think it points to is our understanding of who Jesus Christ is and that Jesus is the Messiah. And he was God. He was preexistent with God. And then he emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant. This is Philippians chapter 2. And then he gave himself up on the cross, even though he did not deserve to die because he was perfect. And in doing so, he ransomed his life for us. So he paid the price for us. So we see that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is what's really interesting is that Jesus, the name of Jesus is actually Jesus, the son of Joseph. That's his name. But we call him Jesus Christ, which is an identifying moniker. And because Christ is our English form of the word Messiah. So Jesus, the The Messiah. Messiah. Yeah. So Jesus is the Messiah of God. And he is the one that has come to save us. And he did so by redeeming us from our sins. And this is the message of the gospel. And so the second thing that this shows us is how redemption works. You know, there's a lot of theories out there floating around today about how redemption works. And the big theories are this. There's one, and that is, is that Jesus Christ only came to redeem people that God predetermined would be saved. So preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, living the gospel, in essence, is kind of irrelevant because God's already decided who is and who isn't saved. And Jesus died only for those people. That's called a limited atonement. All right. Of course, that kind of contradicts a little bit of what the Apostle Peter wrote. It's a, a, God is not uh, impa- God is patient about his promises, desiring all men, all people to come unto repentance. So God is desirous of all people coming under repentance. And the second part of that first theory about uh, salvation is that freedom of choice doesn't exist in that model, right? It's already, it's already predetermined. Chosen. So, so there's a few uh, issues with that. And I'm just introducing you guys to some of these concepts. Uh, the second one is this, is that, well, Jesus is so sufficient and he paid the price for everybody. Jesus saves everybody, no matter what. Because it's an act of grace on God. So it's the other side of the pendulum. It's everybody the, yeah. gets it. Everybody gets it no matter what everybody the, says. It's the Oprah model. You <laughs> get a car, you get redemption, you get redemption, you get redemption. Yeah, every, yeah. And then and that's a perfect illustration because after she did that, guess what happened is all those people were like, well, who's going to pay my taxes <laughs> yes. on those? And that was a big problem. I don't problem. want the vehicles. I don't <laughs> I don't want want it <laughs> yeah. And so they said, yeah, even Jesus pays the taxes too. So and that, that's called universalism. Okay, and there's some people that uh, propagate that. Probably one of the most famous recent people that did was a guy who started a church, uh, uh, I, I think it was in Minnesota or Michigan. Maybe it was Minnesota. His name was Rob Bell. He wrote a bunch of books, and 
he had a really large mega church and then he got up and he just basically said, yeah, you know, Jesus saves everybody regardless of who, what you do and what you say you are. And so the problem with that is it says that my behavior, my activities, my sin nature, none of that's dealt with at all. You see, there, so there's no redemption in a sense that's experienced in a real way. There's no healing of the soul because it's so diluted to everyone. So you have these, these extremes. And, and so what this early story really reveals to us is how Jesus, as the Messiah, gave us a process of salvation. And that begins with a personal confrontation with Jesus Christ where the Holy Spirit convicts me, and this is in John, I believe, chapter 17, where the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of its sin. So I, I have a conviction in my heart, just like the brothers, I need to give an account. No matter how badly I've been treated in my life, I need to give an account for my mistakes, right. my sins. And so uh, that shows us how the process of Jesus the Messiah redeems us. And it's at that moment when my eyes can be opened, uh, I discover faith, right? That God has the power to redeem me, heal me, and restore me. So I think these are some of the early themes that we are seeing. And these themes are in particularly important for us today in our world. So last week we discussed how racial division in our country is based on a narrow understanding of slavery and its mm -hmm. impact on the world mm -hmm. as a whole. Uh, I'd like to dig into that just a little bit more. One thing you pointed out rather quickly was that slavery isn't a result of racism. Mm -hmm. What did you mean by that? Well, when you really dig into how pernicious and evil and massive slavery is, you're going back to the earliest records of human history. And the, the difficulty in understanding the scope of slavery, it must be overcome because it's critical to understand that because the oppression of or the, the oppressiveness of slavery was not originally driven by racism. Now, the theory today that we hear is that racism is the cause of slavery and it was slavery that has been woven systemically into the systems of our form of government in America. And the difficulty is, is that when you adopt that premise, you're actually adopting a false premise. And whenever you adopt a false premise, you always come up with a false conclusion. So the way my brain works is that I always want to go back to the true premise because I can't come up with an answer to a problem unless I start from a place of truth, right? Because then you're basically just treating symptoms rather than right. a root cause. Exactly. And that never gets you anywhere. Never gets you anywhere because when you treat the symptom, you end up creating other problems. It's like most of those meds these days that yeah. have the 15 other things that it gives you. You have a cold, but this yeah. will give you congestive yeah. heart failure. And yeah, they have all things. those risks. But your cold will, will be, be so you will not sneeze anymore. <laughs> cool. Love it. Yeah, that's what happens when you treat symptoms. And then it just, you know, this ball just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. Because, you know, racial division and stuff like this. I, I remember uh, back in the 1971, you know, uh, uh, my dad uh, had us sit down and listen to some speeches. I remember 
when my dad and my whole family sat down and we watched uh, this big mini saga called Roots. Alex Haley Roots came out. They had a book. And, yeah, it was a same, book, and they right? turned it into okay. a television show, and you watched all of these things. And I was really, really young, and it was a big deal to my dad that we sit down in, in my house, you know, uh, solving the racial division was uh, really a big deal. My dad was a big fan of Martin Luther King, had me listen to his speeches, read some of his stuff when I was a young man. And so, uh, but the, the difficulty though, is that, is that uh, if we believe the premise today that racism is what caused slavery, therefore, here's the conclusion of the, the proposition is that therefore we must eradicate racism or slavery or the problems of slavery will happen again. Right. And so that's why today you hear everybody calling everybody a racist, you know, cause that's really like the original sin now and that it's the worst thing you can call somebody in today's world. However, if you adopt that premise, your solutions are not going to really solve the root of the problem because is originally slavery was all about the oppression of vulnerable populations. And it wasn't until the technology existed to transport or to go to a different ethnic continent and then transport people in mass. Did you see slavery revolve around a specific ethnicity? Like for instance, in Rome, who practiced slavery far beyond anything we saw in the height of the slave trade between the 1600s into the 1800s. Uh, Rome, what they did was 10 times, a thousand times worse than that, is that you didn't know who was a slave or not, you see, the, because ethnically there was no differentiation. Was no differentiation. Yeah. Just... And so you had to you had to find ways to differentiate. And so they had various things that they would do, uh, particularly if you were bought and you would never have any opportunity of slavery. They would, you'd get pierced. They would clip your ear. So your ear was permanently had a notch in it. You know, they did all these different things to show that. To mark you. Yeah, to mark you. You're not a free person. Uh, but there were a lot of people that, you know, would be, go into slavery in the Roman Empire and then buy their way out. And so it's very complex. I, I can't go into discuss, uh, discussing all the things about it, but I think what we really want to do is show how slavery was more about oppression of vulnerable populations. And so if that's the issue, then that changes our frame of reference. And what the frame of reference is, is that the problem isn't racism. The problem is violence and oppression of vulnerable people. So if that's the issue, then what we should be focusing on is security and peace as opposed to eradicating racism. If we want to solve the impact that slavery has had on Western civilization. And if we want to resolve the divisions that are going on right now. What we should be focusing on is security and peace. Uh, Interge International Justice Mission, as I shared last Thursday, uh, my wife and I have been involved with them for, gosh, over 15 years. 
and uh, Gary Haugen has written extensively about human trafficking and the, prop, the ongoing fight against slavery. My wife and I have called ourselves modern-day abolitionists and a member of that movement for over 15 years, been very involved in that. And what he postulates is that as we fight slavery over and over and over again, we found that the thing that propagates slavery more than anything else, and then he leads on to say poverty. When you look at real actual poverty, not what we think is poverty in America, but real actual poverty. And he says the thing that propagates poverty more than anything else around the globe is violence. And he, he talks about this situation, and that is, you know, for 25, 30 years, you can go into a place in, in kind of central northern Africa, you can build a school, you can take all these children and you can educate them and how to read and how to write. Uh, we can recruit teachers to go in there and teach these kids so that we can start an economy because when an educated populace is, they, they, they do better together. And he goes on, tells a story and he goes, you could spend 25 years building this and a 14 year old with an AK 47 can come in and in 10 minutes, destroy it all. Hmm. And he said, so peace and stopping violence is the number one priority if you care about solving poverty. If that's what you really care about, then bring peace and security. And that, I think, shows you how the frame of reference shifts. And so then the answer shifts. And so what IJM has been doing now is they go in and the first thing they do in a lot of these countries, you know, the, in, in the kind of the parts of India and in Africa and these other places that they're working is our first goal is to recruit a police force. We want police. And then the second goal that they have is to set it up so that they eliminate as much as possible corruption. You know, because if you have a corrupt police force, well, that's it's like not having a police force yeah, at all. That's, it's just, it's it's just violence with a different, you know, shirt on. In a uniform. <laughs> yeah. And so it's not good, that's not good either. So how do you eliminate the violence or, or the corruption? How do you do that? You know, so you remove incentives and they have all these really great ways of doing it. And man, it's the, what, the, the work that they're doing across the globe is really, really phenomenal. And so I think, I think the first thing is to understand is that, that, uh, poverty is is make makes people vulnerable to slavery and oppression and so the best thing to do is to help people get out of poverty and the best way to get out of poverty is not to give poor people things but to create security so that they can learn and grow how to be self-sufficient themselves and we have found this to be the most effective way to rise people out of poverty. A lot of people may not be aware of this, but in the last 25 years, the global poverty rate has been almost cut in half. Wow. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And what's happening is economically, people in all these third world countries, once you create security and peace, then what they are able to do is they, they are able to create an economy and then their monthly income goes up. And so that is what's really, really amazing. The freedom to have an economy, but you can't have an economy unless you have the freedom to do it. You can't have the freedom to do it unless you create peace and you can't have peace unless you create security, which means you eliminate violence. violence. Yeah. 
So our church has made a concerted effort over the years to work closely with different ethnic groups, uh, the impoverished, immigrants. Do you see a difference between how the community of faith deals with these issues as opposed to how governments choose to deal with them? Well, that'd be a big yes. I see a really big <laughs> yes there. And, and, and here is, once again, the frame of reference. And your, where you start is really, really critically important. And that is, is that right now, the government's attempts, and just so you know, I'm a big fan of America, love America. Uh, realize, though, America is not perfect. And what has happened is our government attempts to solve the physical poverty needs of the people in our community from a secular mindset. mindset. And this secular system cannot resolve a spiritual issue. As a matter of fact, what a secular system does is it enables and enhances the spiritual problem that leads to a lot of these issues of poverty. Hmm. And so what we do is we see uh, ongoing patterns of people. And when you work with people who are impoverished and you see the same people over and over and over again, you get to know them, you dig into their lives and you see what's going on. You see these patterns over and over and over and over again. Uh, that What that tells me is that the, the, a secular system is incapable of solving the problem because the problem, the root cause of the problem is spiritual in nature. And so if it's spiritual in nature, you can approach it by imposing religion. Okay. For instance, if you were to go to a nation that is predominantly Islam and is imposed Sharia law, they use religious uh, rules laws, regulations to keep crime and suffering at bay. Mm -hmm. You know, they, and so they impose it very, very heavily. And so, but really you're using a geopolitical system to solve the problem. Whereas ultimately the best healing for people begins with healing the spiritual. Like we talked on Tuesday is that the story of Joseph is that that God very on wants to heal the brokenness of individuals. And when God is allowed to heal the brokenness of individuals, then what that does is it allows people to then begin the process of finding out how I can go from this point to that point. You can't make positive changes in your life when you are incapable because you don't have the power of God transforming you. You see, Satan just keeps pulling you right back into it. Right. So I think, I think that's why the church needs to be careful about, and I talked about this, jumping on bandwagons to become popular. And it needs to stick to preaching of the gospel, which is healing of the individual human heart, adopting them into the family of God called the church, and in that community of faith begin to grow. And that's where you find healing and transformation in its greatest and most powerful form. So what do you think we can do as a church to help be the solution in a world being torn apart by politics, division, violence, hatred, all of these things going on? What can we do as the church? Well, I, I think the number one thing is, is that we win people to Christ one person at a time. You know, and I've been telling every leadership team in our church right now is that we're called to be disciple makers. 
And disciples are not mass produced. They're handcrafted. They're one at a time. And for the first 300 years of the church, when it was the most oppressed, it was outlawed, uh, the, the leaders were martyred over and over again, is the greatest numerical growth of the church in almost all of its history. It's, I mean, it's absolutely amazing. The, the, the rate of its growth was just absolutely phenomenal during one of the most difficult times. Why? That's because people were one to Christ. They were introduced to him one person at a time. And so the most important thing to do right now is not try to figure out your position on some geopolitical social construct and how we're going to create a utopian government to fix all of these problems, the most important thing that you will ever do as a follower of Christ is lead one other person to Jesus. Mm. And that, that's the best way to heal a broken world is because only Christ and Christ alone can heal the violence and the hatred and the division in our world. Uh, that's how you circumvent the drive for power because what we see now in the division and all of the machinations behind it have to do with people who want power. They want power and they want to force their power and use their power for whatever reason. You know, we don't, I mean, how do you even know? And so I think that's the best thing. And when you are actually confronted with an op, you know, because as a church, people are asking me, what's our position on and then you fill in, yeah, the fill in the blank on some social issue, on so, some social issue. And I said, well, our issue is that every person needs to meet Jesus one-on-one and begin to walk in faith with him. And so uh, let, let me be very salty and very personal right now. If someone were to come to me and say, Pastor, what is your position on abortion? I would say, well, what is, why do you ask? Why do you ask? And if that person says to me, well, pastor because I've had an abortion, you know? And I said, if you want to be free, if you want to walk in the newness of life, then you need to go to Christ, confess your failure to him, and ask him to redeem your soul. That's what's going to save you. I said, you, you can have strong feelings about the political movement and stuff like that, but you as an individual, you'll never be free until you find freedom in Christ from that. If they come to me and they say, my child or my friend, you know, had an abortion and they're really, really happy about it. And they really want to, you know, when we're at family reunions or family dinners or whatever, you know, they're trying to recruit people. How do I deal with that? And I say, well, the way you deal with that is you you say is that I think that the reason that you're so passionate about it is because like Joseph, you haven't forgotten and you're never going to be free. You know, what happens is if, if you're, this is your, your political position and you're able to force it on everybody, do you think that's going to satisfy the thirst of your soul? If you were to win everything, do you think winning is going to heal your soul? That's not the way you were designed. The only way our soul is ever healed is when we meet Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And it's not until you do that And so instead of arguing a political position, argue the thirst of the soul. Because who can deny that their soul is thirsty when they don't know God? Nobody can. And that's when the Holy Spirit says, aha, you've opened the door for me. Thank you. And then that Holy Spirit can come, you know, do its job. Because the Holy Spirit convicts the person of their sin. You don't. The Spirit does that. Your goal is just get their soul 
to crack. And then, man, the power of the Holy Spirit will go rushing into that. Um, If if you're a person, let's say you're a minority and uh, you're black and you say, you know, I feel that people treat me different because of the color of my skin or people treat me differently. People don't like me because of the color of my skin or or whatever. You know, I've, I've been, you know, people have been prejudiced against me. And so what I would say to you is I would say this to you, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient to heal your soul. You don't need a society to validate you as a human being because that will never quench the thirst of your soul. The only thing that's going to quench the thirst of your soul, the only thing that's going to validate you and make you whole is Jesus Christ, God and God alone. So find your freedom in him. Find your newness in him. And then when people act in inappropriate ways or there are barriers in front of you that you think are unjust, Satan can't use those things to create rage in your heart because the peace of God reigns supreme. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. The one thing that we all have is a soul and our souls are not defined by our ethnicity. They're defined by our spirit Mm. and the spirit of man can only be healed by the spirit of God because Jesus Christ came to die for all. He died for all. And so find wholeness in love, find wholeness in peace, find wholeness in Jesus Christ because what's on the outside is not going to heal the soul, which is on the inside. And you need Jesus. And all of that stuff, when you find Jesus, all of that stuff becomes irrelevant because you are now living for an eternal hope, a greater hope. And you're, you're redeemed. And you're walking around with the deposit of the Holy Spirit, the kiss of God on your life. I mean, that's amazing. If you're Hispanic and you moved here and you think that this, the system doesn't treat you right because you don't speak English well or whatever may be the case, no change in a system is going to heal your soul. And the best thing to do is to come to Christ because the gospel of Jesus is sufficient. It's not just sufficient. It's all encompassing to heal your life and to change you so that when you see these things that may be injustices towards you, they don't invalidate you. They don't denigrate you. You can't be invalidated when you're a child of God. You can't be denigrated when you're a child of God. You can't be disrespected when you are a child of God because God's got your back. I mean, you're, you're God's child. So the words of people become irrelevant. The actions of people become irrelevant. Those things can't undermine you, depress you, uh, demotivate you. None of those things can because the very spirit of God lives in your soul. So what I would say to you is that you don't need a change in a system to be validated and made whole and healed. You need the blood of Christ to redeem you. And then once people are redeemed and once people have been made whole by God and we are not influenced by these things anymore, these externals anymore, is when we're in the best position then to see how do we treat people the most justly, Mm -hmm. right? Even those who don't want to acknowledge their need for God. 
And I'll tell you what, it all comes down to this, and that is, can we create security? Can we create a place where people can walk down the street and not be afraid of violence in their life? And that's really the key is the thing that destroys, the thing that Satan uses to destroy human beings more than anything else is violence and insecurity. And so I don't care what side you're on, if you're employing violence, if you're employing, creating insecurity, then you are on the side of the devil. You are not on the side of the king. And I'm a God guy. And that's why I'm salty is I'm going to call it out wherever I see it. Because if we don't return to a biblical worldview, then we don't have any opportunity to solve any of these problems. Those are some strong words. <laughs> Was that some pretty salty? <laughs> but I think it's things that need to be said. So um, I thank you for sharing all those, those um, deeper dives into what's going on. Because I think it's really easy to get caught up in what the media says and what the secular world is telling us we need to yes. be doing. And I think going back to these biblical truths, having these real honest conversations about how do we solve things and what we should be doing mm-hmm. rather than what the media, their politicians or you know, crazy uncle Ed tells us we're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's what we really need to be hearing right now. There's so much other garbage floating around right now and nobody can agree. And that's because it's a man-made thing. We need to go back to it's man-made it's framing. It's framing. And I think the difficulty is, is that if you're a follower of Christ, you have values, your values that you've been instilled because you've been redeemed is that my goal is to love everybody, right? Yeah, that, yes, it is. My goal is to treat everybody justly. Yes, it is. But what's happening is people who are trying to frame it, you know, the world's framing of it is trying to take advantage and define love for you, to define justice for you. And so it gets, it gets really askewed. And then before you know it, you know, you're justifying the denigration of another human being for your own political purpose. Right. And God's not in that when you do that. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Pastor. Uh, As always, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, comment, uh, leave some questions if you have anything you want us to expound upon. If you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, Mm -hmm. uh, make sure you subscribe. And uh, we will see you this Sunday for Church at Foothills at 930 and 11 Mountain Standard Time. And we'll see you there. All right. God bless you guys.